How much do you know about the Iranian Revolution? Oh no. Oh, well no, I saw the movie Argo, and honestly that's probably mm -hmm. the majority okay. of my knowledge. Okay. Okay, this is, a, this is a film that I feel like I was not expecting co to connect to it as much as I did. It is a story that I can relate to very little, and yet I still find it captivating, really engrossing. Um, it's the story of a life, um, nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um, it is foreign language, but we can find it dubbed, and I think the English dub is actually really good. It's an animated movie. Uh, I know all of these things together. I can see the in your intrigue. Yes. Kay, have you seen Persepolis? Rising up, back on the street. Did my time, took my chances. When the day's done, now I'm back on my feet. Just a man and his will to survive. It's the eye of the tiger, it's the thrill of the fight. Welcome back to K Have You Seen, the movie podcast. My name is Kyle. That's it, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Kari. And uh, today we are uh, talking about a movie that's a little bit different than I think maybe um, we've ever talked about. It's kind of a weird genre hybrid yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, our movie today is the 2007 animated film Persepolis. Mm -hmm. um, now, before we get into the movie itself, Kari. When you think about like autobiographies, like, mm -hmm. you know, are there any that come to mind? Any that you've read or autobiographical stories or memoir movies that you may have seen that, that stand out in your mind? I mean, first thing that came to my mind is how big the Hamilton uh, biography, it's not an autobiography. Are we being specific on the auto well, here? Well, yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Well, it wasn't his autobiography. I walk <laughs> it back. Um, I never knew Alexander Hamilton had those rhymes, man. Yeah, amazing. It just, it was funny to me how, like, how random that is that it inspired a piece of culture like that and mm -hmm. that it just took off. That one specific biography of, Ham of Alexander Hamilton um, just, like, blew up after that. You saw it kind of everywhere. Yeah. That's a founding father's autobiography blowing up in the year, like, 2016, mm -hmm. maybe, was just wild. But, yeah. um... Yeah, I'm trying to think what. I mean, do you have other ones besides this? Is that a is that a genre you really enjoy? I mean, I'm always kind of fascinated by the idea of the autobiography and the memoir because it's like telling your own story, what people choose to leave in, what mm -hmm. what people choose to alter, mm -hmm. and a lot of times, like the autobiography or the memoir itself is the only real document that we have of their life, or at least the most authoritative document we have of their life. Because most people that are even famous people don't really have their lives put under like a deep scrutiny microscope mm -hmm. um, in the end. So, you know, you kind of have to take sometimes the way you look at somebody's own life story of themselves, just the way they tell the story tells you a lot about them as mm -hmm. much as the actual stories that they're relaying. And I don't know, I've always been kind of fascinated by that, like how people choose to represent themselves in book form, movie form, or just storytelling form. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, we absolutely talk about this, but yeah, I think the, the form and the way you tell your story is such a big part of the story, so especially in autobiography. It's like the way you represent yourself is, 
at least I scrutinize it. When someone is telling mm -hmm. you about themselves, I listen so much more carefully to what they're saying and how much credit I give it mm -hmm. because that's like the hardest thing for people to do is represent themselves truthfully. Right. We know ourselves in a way completely different than any other third party person sure. knows us. So that's always very interesting and yeah, we will definitely talk about that. With of course, us. yeah. Um, and all this being, you know, very closely tied to the film that we're discussing today, which is autobiographical. It is based on an autobiographical graphic novel mm -hmm. um, by Marjan Satrapi, who is Iranian. She grew up in Iran um, before traveling to Europe in her teenage years, and that is really what this whole story is kind of about. But Kari, this being your first um, viewing of this film, could you kind of give us a little bit more of a summary of, of, of what this film is about? Yeah, so we start the film with Marjan as a young girl in Iran. She's, I'm not even sure if they say how old she is. She's, She's about like 10 at the beginning. 10? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's um, right before um, the fall of the Shah. And it just follows kind of her childhood growing into adulthood. Um, in Iran, and then she goes off to boarding school, or to school, not boarding school, because she doesn't live at the school, mm -hmm. um, in Vienna, and then comes back to Iran, and we basically end the film on her as, uh, like, maybe 24, 25-year-old. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, she gets married at 21, so about 22-year-old, moving back to France, mm -hmm. or not back to France, back to Europe, right. to France, to kind of continue her her life and begin her adulthood more or less. So yeah, it's a long-spanning film just following one girl into womanhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, the official summary of the one that I pulled off of Rotten Tomatoes, um, Marjan is a precocious and outspoken young Iranian girl who was nine during the Islamic Revolution when the fundamentalists first took power. She cleverly outsmarts the social guardians and discovers punk, the Bee Gees, and Iron Maiden while living with the terror of government persecution and the Iran-Iraq war. As a teenager, her parents send her to school in Austria. She eventually gains acceptance in Europe, but finds herself horribly homesick. She returns to Iran, although it means living in a tyrannical society. At age 24, she realizes that while she is deeply Iranian, she cannot live in Iran. She then makes the heartbreaking decision to leave her homeland for France. And that is essentially the arc of the entire film. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a very specific relationship with this film and its source material, but okay. I wanted to kind of get your first impression of this film and you know how you reacted to it while watching it. But first, an important question, because this mm -hmm. film is a French language film. Mm -hmm. Did you watch it subtitled or did you watch the English language dub? I watched it subtitled. Okay, so did I. I've, I've seen it both ways. Oh, okay. But yeah, I, I was curious, because like, I know that I'm not anti-subtitle, but I do feel like it does give a very specific experience of watching the film. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I mean, it was a little bit of a like exercise and like, I don't know, it was, you get kind of into reading and I kind of mm -hmm. forget what I'm listening to, but it was also kind of like, oh yeah, I know how to say that, I know what they said, or like <laughs> right. those little variances and I was like, oh, so she actually said this, which is yes. slightly different what the subtitle said, but I'm not fluent by any means, just mm -hmm. like know enough to be right. like, oh. Jutakit, I'm leaving you, is not exactly what he said, or whatever. So, um, I yeah, also enjoyed the part where it has a, an English character who is from English from England who is speaking French with an English accent, which sounded kind of interesting yeah. to me. <laughs> oh, I didn't pick up. I Oh, yeah. I heard, I, I was reading it so fast, 
that I thought it said Allemand, which is Germany. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I thought she was German. I didn't right. pick up oh, the okay. English yeah, accent. Yeah. That's funny. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so your your first impression, your reaction to, to, this, to this film. I'm very curious as to like what you thought of it. Yeah, so I think I had seen the cover, art, like the um, poster art mm -hmm. before, that kind of black with that circle. Yes. Um, image. Am I thinking of something? You might be thinking of the cover different? of the, the graphic novel. Oh, um, maybe. Or the graphic novels, because it was originally published as two that were then combined into like an omnibus edition after the film was released. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, I had seen that image before, but I don't think I would have like, yes, yeah, the red cover with mm -hmm. the girl. Maybe I've seen that in a bookstore then. Probably. Okay, so vaguely, once I looked this up for this episode, I had just the vaguest like recalling of this image, but other than that, didn't really know much about it. Mm -hmm. um, as a first experience, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was like, the storytelling was very straightforward and fair, and that's mm -hmm. something I, I thought was really effective in believing her, like not questioning her as a narrator. You're like, okay, so this is what happened, that's what happened. This happened next. I mean, there are some points where she kind of asks you to question her narrative, mm -hmm. but overall, it's not at all flowery. She's not really presenting too much with like a moral. You can tell mm -hmm. where she falls on how she feels about past events, like the the kind of big ticket historic events and changes. But as far as her life and and what she saw, there's not a lot of uh, overt bias on anything or not a lot of reason to question her narrative too much. Um, and the animation was just really beautiful. It was from the beginning, like the opening credits. I think opening credits and animations are always really interesting because yeah, yeah. you get they tend to be kind of a way to play around with the form in a way that doesn't have to support the narrative entirely. Right. Um, yeah, so it, it just, I don't know, the whole thing was just really enjoyable and gorgeous to watch. Yeah. Oh, I'm really glad you liked it. Uh, like I said, I do have a very, uh, I, I have an extreme fondness for this film. Um, yeah, tell me about your background. I think I um, first became aware of this watching the Oscars for 2007. Because mm -hmm. um, the movie was released, limited release in 2007. Um, and 2007 was a dense year for really good movies, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I think that like even at the time, I recognized that there were like a lot of really amazing films that were being released at that time. Mm -hmm. um, everything from like Superbad to um, No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. Oh, yeah. It was just a huge range of films that, were, that came out around that time, and Persepolis was one of them. Um, Ratatouille also came out <laughs> in 2007. And in fact, Ratatouille beat this film for the Oscar for Best Animated Feature in 2007. Mm. And I remember distinctly watching that show. This was back when I still actually watched the Oscars. Seeing you watched the Oscars last year. I did, I, I did. That's Don't true. pretend. That's true. That, but that, legitimately, that was probably the first time in five years that I'd actually watch an Oscars broadcast. <laughs> um, but anyhow, seeing the 2007 Oscars show, which would have been, I guess, February of 2008, and seeing the snippet of the film that they show when they list off the nominees before the announcement, I was immediately locked in. I was like, I have to see this film because this mm. looks amazing. Um, and so when it was released, um, I, I think I got it off of like Netflix DVD or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it blew me away. I loved it. Um, the first time I watched it was the English language dub, mm -hmm. um, which had um, 
Sean Penn in the role of the father and Iggy Pop as Uncle Anoush, oh, which wow. was really interesting. I, I really mm -hmm. appreciated that. Um, but just like the, everything about it just seemed so fascinating and engrossing. Um, I was in college at the time. I think I was a freshman or a sophomore in college. I loved it. Um, later on in college, I was assigned the graphic novel in a class oh, about cool. women's autobiographies. Um, and I thought the novel was just, the graphic novel was just amazing. Like, I, mm -hmm. I thought, that I, I definitely think that the graphic novel is, it's better than the film in a lot of ways, more detailed, but oh, okay. um, we can, I, I, that's all I'll really say about it because uh, you know, we're not talking about the book, we're talking about the film here. Mm. Um, but it had, the, yeah. the, I'm curious on the yeah. differences between sure. the adaptation. We can but... absolutely talk about that, but the film, it had a really big influence on the way that I viewed uh, Middle Eastern history mm -hmm. and people um, because of the way that Satrapi, like, he, the way that Satrapi portrays herself as a young person really influenced the way that I related to um, people from not only a different time, but a different place as mm -hmm. well. Um, and she portrays herself like a person that I would know growing up, that I would, that I would be friends with growing up. Yeah. And which is interesting to me when I see like any kind of historical fiction that's able to do that, um, films that take place in decades or centuries past that I can actually like, relate to a person, but also from a different culture altogether. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, it's not a different culture before the revolution. It's actually a very similar culture to American culture. Right. And everything that she shows in the film prior to the revolution could have been anywhere in America. Mm -hmm. Like nothing that she shows from her like, you know, child's eye view is any different than what I would recognize in middle America, really. Mm -hmm. Her parents um, talk about politics and have parties and you're playing with like your parents' friends' kids even though they're not really your friends, mm -hmm. things like that. And it just, it felt so relatable in that way that I was just really just drawn in by that and that really makes the whole aspect of the effects of the revolution and the Iran-Iraq war and things like that punch a lot harder because you've spent the early part of this film thinking, wow, this is exactly like what the experience of childhood is like for me and mm -hmm. for people that I know. Um, and I mean, it's really easy to just say about any kind of foreign group of people that they're just like us, they're just like you and me. It's right. easy to say that, but to see a concrete example, mm -hmm. it, it was really big. Like, she loves Bruce Lee and Iron Maiden and punk rock and stuff and like that. And fries with ketchup. And french fries <laughs> with ketchup. It's like, yeah, it's like the details like that really yeah. made, it, made me connect with this film um, in a big way. Yeah, I had a really similar response of just like, yeah, I, I know this girl. I know a lot of the stuff she talks about. You're like, oh yeah, like just, you know a lot of her story because it's exactly the same as anybody who's mm -hmm. grown up from being a child to being an adult. Like it's just, there are some moments that you're like, oh my God, yeah, like I, I, had, a, I had that in my life at some point and then but at the same time is incredibly specific about a time that I really didn't know that much about. Mm -hmm. Honestly, a lot of my understanding of um, Iran and their revolution comes from films. I think I mentioned this in our last episode, but like Argo yeah. was kind of my first introduction yeah. to this history because this was probably 20 years before I would have been aware of what's going on politically yeah. in the world. And um, yeah, so I, it's, but it, it's been an interesting like, you know, focus of some different, films lately so that's yeah. part of it and I have to ask um the whole Oscars thing did you watch the breadwinner from this year's no, uh -uh. Oscars because that seems very similar like it was a it's a story of I forget if it's a girl or a boy I haven't watched it 
yet, but like, um, yeah, a girl who's growing up in Afghanistan yeah. during like kind of the rise of the Taliban. So sure. um, yeah, it just sounds like something very similar and it's interesting. This is, you know, the kind of story that gets attention like this. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's Oscar bait in a way mm -hmm. because it's like, of course a story like this is going to be nominated for an Oscar. War-torn country. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, I think that one of the things that differentiates this particular story from like, you know, a kite runner kind of a story mm -hmm. is that I, I feel like by focusing so much on, first of all, her family is living in the city. Mm -hmm. And in any country in the world, you're going to find a more or less homogeneous international culture in the cities much mm. more than you'll mm -hmm. find out in the countryside. And I think that that was part of what makes it so relatable mm. is that by having parents who are urbanites, really, right. um, it connects them to the international culture mm -hmm. more so than if this was a story about a young girl growing up in Iran in the 70s and 80s living out in the sticks mm -hmm. in Iran as opposed to in the middle of Tehran. Um, so there is that element to it as well. Um, but anyway, yeah, we, we, we talk sometimes about movies that we might pair with the movie that we're talking about mm -hmm. here. And I was curious as to your thoughts, because nothing really jumped out at me about, you know, things. I don't, we haven't really covered anything. I would say maybe The Fall is sort of a mm. similar narrative um, in, in some ways. Um, yeah. Much but more. Kind of, sorry, opposite yeah. in others, yeah. because it's, there's a lot of, like, storytelling and metaphor there. Yes. And this is very straight up like mm -hmm. there's not a lot of poetry to it it's right. very just this is mm -hmm. these are the facts this is exactly what yeah and i think that that is one of the major differences in like the graphic novel there are a lot more um because in the film you get a little bit of marjan speaking to god mm -hmm. essentially mm -hmm. um and that is a much larger part of the early portion of the of the book mm -hmm. is because they mention it in the beginning of the film that she said that she was obsessed with um, two things, <laughs> shaving her legs one day, one day. and becoming a prophet. Mm -hmm. And she in that factors much more heavily into the book where she talks about how her, she has a very interesting relationship with a religion where mm -hmm. she's clearly not on board with any of like the fundamentalist stuff that's mm -hmm. going on in the country around her, but she does have a very strong belief in God and in, mm -hmm. in the sanctity of the prophets and so she takes it very seriously that she wants to be a prophet, and so she has long conversations in the book with God. Mm -hmm. and, that's an, and that's a part of the story that doesn't really translate into the film as much. Yeah. It comes up a couple of times, but not terribly often. Yeah, now that you say that, it's like I could see how that could be a running thing. It comes in in moments in the film, and like I think you see an important moment in her childhood where she realizes that like just because someone invokes God does mm -hmm. not mean that they are actually like a good person, right, exactly. not actually sent by God or whatever. When she, when she tells her parents, like, I'm on board with the Shah. Yeah. God appointed him, mm -hmm. and they're like, No, no, no. <laughs> Let me right. tell you how this works. But and that was a remarkably that yeah. moment in particular. It was a remarkably like complex thing for her mm -hmm. parents to relay to a ten year old, nine year old, because they say, Nah, -uh, but also it's not as bad as it sounds either. You know, yeah. the way they relay the story. And that was the part where I was talking about where, like, the little, like, puppet theater yeah. with the English government represented by one puppet. And that was the character oh. who I was talking about who was speaking in French with an English accent. Oh, okay. I was thinking of the German professor that she right. lived with yeah. later. Okay. She was uh, probably speaking German. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, yeah. Sorry, but go, go ahead. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, no, no, no. Um, but just that point and then the 
um, point where she kind of rejects God and yes. goes away from being religious because her uncle has died. And yes. then towards the end, she kind of comes back, like she comes through her depression kind of through marrying God and philosophy. Like mm -hmm. she, she, her, the kind of like moment where she um, reconciles her past and her present mm -hmm. more or less. I mean, I guess when she starts to, there's still a lot of film after that is when she talks with God and not Karl sure. Marx. I think it was Karl was Marx. It Marx? Yeah. Okay. It's explicitly mentioned in the books again, and she has oh, long okay. conversations with Karl Marx as well in the book, gotcha. um, which doesn't make a lot of sense in the film as much. Yeah, you can kind of piece it together, but it's much more explicit in the in the book. Gotcha. Um, but at least the God detail. thing, you can see how that's points that maybe a string would have right, connected in exactly, a longer story. Exactly. Um, and not a movie, but and, and not something we've talked about on this show before, but I was interested in your perspective on mm -hmm. this because I know that you recently read the book, The Handmaid's Tale, yeah, which was written not long after the Iranian Revolution. Oh. Um, I think it was published in like 1984, 85 originally, and the mm -hmm. revolution was in 1979. Mm -hmm. um, and I am familiar enough with like the general idea of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, and I was curious if you saw any connections between like this story and the way that the Iranian Revolution played out right. and like the speculative futurism of Handmaid's Tale. Because it mm -hmm. seems to me, having not read Handmaid's Tale, I don't really know, it seems to me like the Iranian Revolution must have been an influence. Mm, sure, yeah, that would make sense. I wasn't thinking about that pairing before this, but like I could I could see how that as a if you're aware aware of that as a global happening. I mean, obviously, the the place of women is a huge change that um, Marjan sees in her life, and that's a big part of kind of what's interested, what the Handmaid's Tale obviously is interested in, um, and kind of the vulnerability of women in situations like this. Mm -hmm. How quickly women are the ones who kind of get put into a place of of you know restricted power. Um, I could, that would be interesting. You said you haven't read it? No. Mm -mm. Mm. Yeah, I could see some similarities. I think there, uh, Handmaid's Tale is a lot more interested in kind of the process and the mm -hmm. system than I think um, this was. Uh, I guess, yeah. I, I guess I think through that because. Yeah, I was th mm -hmm. I was just thinking about like you know the moral guardians or excuse me like what are they called? They're called the guardians of the revolution in Iran. Mm -hmm. um, these people who are, you know, they they are the the ones who are all in mm -hmm. on the theocracy and the theocratic government and how religious law and law of the land have completely merged. Mm -hmm. Things of that nature I, are more of what I was the things that I I felt like were likely influences mm -hmm. um, or things that I would have expected to be influential, I guess. Because right. it, it, it seems as though the society of Tehran that Marjan Satrapi describes in this story, it goes very much from what we would recognize as a very modernized mm -hmm. culture to very quickly becoming an extremely oppressive, mm -hmm. um, sexist theocracy. Yeah. I guess thinking about Handmaid's Tale, you could almost read it as filling in the pieces that um, Persepolis does not show you. Mm -hmm. Like Handmaid's Tale is very interested in kind of how the transition happened mm -hmm. and how they enforce something that would, I mean, like to us seem very foreign, yeah. very like implausible. And Handmaid's Tale 
the point of that story is kind of how you go from what we recognize now mm -hmm. to a system like this, yeah. like how it is possible. And I think Persepolis kind of d glosses over those moments. Mm -hmm. We don't really see those transitional moments as much. You don't see when they start to have to wear the veil. We just mm -hmm. transition from one day she's wearing a veil and being told that they must, you know, they must pull their veil down because mm -hmm. you're seeing too much of their hair and all separating the men and the women in class, which wasn't a thing before. And yeah, I think you you could understand how those changes happen through Handmaid's Tale because Persepolis isn't really mm. interested in showing you. Yeah, and that is again a thing where I think feel like the if I, as I remember the book, I feel like it goes into more detail about that because in the film it does talk about it. it's definitely breezed through because they have the revolution happens, which is like a long time coming, and people like Marjan's parents are really excited because they think this means that. Frank, I mean, it is not as explicit in the film, but what they're excited about is that Iran is going to become a communist country mm. because they're all communists. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is that their revolution gets hijacked by the fundamentalists who turn it into a theocratic mm. government while they're in the reconstruction process. Mm -hmm. And that is given a little bit more direct coverage in the book than in the film. And I guess for me, I, I saw it because I was already familiar with the backstory and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, um, I would be. I would be very curious to see what you had to say if, after reading the the graphic novel. But, yeah, but be very interested to see what you had to say after reading Handmaid's Tale. Of Tim. course, we'll have to have a book swap. <laughs> um, but this is not book swap radio hour. This is K. Have you seen? So, um, just a couple of quick notes here about mm -hmm. um, cast and crew. Okay, so Marjan Satrapi, as we've mentioned the real name of the author of the book and the co-writer, co-director, and main character of this story, which again, kind of a new thing for us. We haven't covered a film yet mm -hmm. that um, has that, uh, ha has the creator also being the main character. Right, yeah, we haven't really done anything autobiographical, right? Right, exactly. Um, so Biographical, but. Bi yes, <laughs> right. And yeah, I, I, I found that really interesting, you know, the whole process of you know, the the comic is very much in the same style as the film, black and white, plain, relatively simplistic mm -hmm. drawings. And she talks a little bit in the film about how she went to art school. Mm -hmm. And it's not given a ton of coverage, but it is something that she touches on. And it's it, it's interesting to see how she was pretty young when I think when this book was published. She was like thirty, I think, when okay. the when the book when the first um, book of the two mm -hmm. were published. Uh, so not terribly long after the end of the events of the story. So I have mm -hmm. to assume this was something she was working on for a while as well. Mm. Uh, once she got to France, um, I don't know a lot about her story between the events of the book and, uh, or, the, or the events of the film and um, the film being made. Right. Um, but it's not a terribly long period of time. How much does the book cover the same amount of time that the movie yeah, does? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's two, it's two books that are the two parts of this film. Yes, so the okay. book, the first book is her childhood in Iran and it ends when she's at the airport getting ready to go to Austria. And mm -hmm. then the second book covers Austria back to Iran and then making the decision to go back to Europe. And then it ends when she goes back to Europe. Okay. Um, Does, yeah, do you wanna talk about some of the book differences? Well, I wanna hear about that. Sure, but. There, it really it was just a lot more detail about how things happened. I feel like I, personally could watch a four-hour version of mm -hmm. this film because that's just me in general. But honestly, like in the book, it's very dense in detail. Mm -hmm. It goes a lot more into when she arrives in, you know, it, it talks a lot more about her childhood. Like I mentioned, she 
has a lot more conversations with God. She mm -hmm. talks a lot more about what it means to be a prophet. Talks a lot more about where the title Persepolis comes from. That was the ancient capital of the Persian Empire. Mm. And so that was kind of the, the, the glory days of what we now consider Iran. And the character Marjan in the book discusses kind of how that period before the revolution was kind of her Persepolis. That was her period of Iran's golden age because that was her childhood. Right. And I feel like most people tend to idealize their childhood, but in her case, the distinction was so stark between like her childhood and her adulthood for her home country that when she remembers growing up, like the Persepolis, that was kind of her idealized version of Iran mm -hmm. and kind of how she relates to her childhood growing up before the revolution. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so there's more detail about that. Once she arrives in Europe, she has a lot more of an adjustment period to Western society, mm -hmm. where she talks a lot about her firsts. Um, she has a very, there's a, there's a funny moment in the film where one of the nuns yells at her for eating spaghetti out of a pot in the living mm -hmm. room, which, let's be honest, we have all ate spaghetti out of the pot in the uh, living room. Yeah. <laughs> your parents aren't here. You can. That's literally what you're allowed to do. Right, right. Eat your food right out of the pot. Sure. If you put it in a pot in the first place, it's probably cereal. Let's be real. <laughs> um, but yeah, she talks about how she was introduced to the concept of pasta. She'd never had pasta before she arrived oh. in Austria. And so, I did think, I was like, oh, spaghetti's an interesting choice. Yeah. Like, that's, but I guess that's the easiest thing yeah. to make. She talks about the first time... Um, she talks about being surprised because she had a friend from school and she stayed over at her friend's house and she was surprised by how badly her friend treated her mother, uh, um, how disrespectful she was, um, talking about having frank discussions about sex, which didn't happen in Iran. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, first time that she saw someone doing drugs, which is obviously illegal in Iran. Mm -hmm. Lots of things that were, even before the revolution, not really part of like the culture mm -hmm. where she came from, seeing people doing these things and doing them out in the open. She has a lengthy period of time. There's several more anecdotes, too, that don't necessarily feed the story, but mm -hmm. as episodic as this film is, the source material is even more episodic, which oh, okay. makes it... I I always find that to be kind of relatable, too, because mm -hmm. with memoirs, I feel like there's really no other way to do it. You know, you have to right. kind of tell the stories. It's not one contiguous story. It's several stories that are loosely linked together. Right, the build up to something mm -hmm. more or less. Yeah. Um, does the moment, the like break up right before she moves back to Iran, mm -hmm. is there more to that? Because that's one piece of the movie that I was like, I didn't fully understand. That actually was about as abrupt as it is in the film, oh. as, I, as I remember it. Because she talks about um, a couple of other like very minor like romantic encounters mm -hmm. but this Marcus character who this portrayal in the film I thought was really interesting and in the book it's very similar um, no it was just like she fell head over heels for this guy and it was not just a breakup but like she discovers that she that he's cheating on her with this other girl and it totally wrecks her entire world. Yeah. And she acknowledges it in the film. She says it was just, it was ridiculous. You know, I'd been mm. through a war zone. Right. And one. One, one breakup is what had me living on the street. Right, because she becomes homeless. She, mm -hmm. like, I guess we're supposed to understand from her ending up in the hospital that she was, like, close to death. Yeah, like, he said, yeah. you had a close one out there. Mm -hmm. I guess it was a really cold night, but then that's what, like, launches her back home. But you, I guess you got to think at the time she was probably around, like, 18? She was about 19? 17 or 18, I okay. think. Yeah, approximately. So, you know, young and on. I feel like she she played 
the moment, like you understood really well how homesick she was mm -hmm. and how kind of culture shocked she was, even yes. without going all the, into all the moments, but just seeing the way she was interacting with people. She never, she doesn't put too fine a point on it, but mm -hmm. you get, you know, she's hanging out with a lot of kind of nihilistic, teenage, yeah. like whatever, and the counterpoint of them versus someone who has actually been through seriously dire situations mm -hmm. who does not have like a nihilist philosophy, yeah. even though she has seen much more, you know, she's seen much more of the lows of life than mm -hmm. any of her friends have. So just seeing that and seeing how painful and how like, you know, ill-fitting that relationship is. Yeah, and it's it's interesting the way she makes friends once she reaches Europe. And in the mm -hmm. film, I think it does a good job of kind of portraying that she did find the people that had she not been born in a different country, she would be hanging out with anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, had they all been, these were very much the type of people that she would be hanging out with. But the fact that they do come from different places and completely different backgrounds, it's important in ways you might not necessarily expect. Like, mm -hmm. they're very... They are interested in her as a novelty, but also they do legitimately seem to like her. Yeah. And they and she likes them. Mm -hmm. um, That's a good point. Like, I really do... Thinking about it now, like, watching it, I was like, oh, these, like, you know, freaking jerks. Like, these privileged kids mm -hmm. are complaining about going home for the holidays and stuff when she can't go home uh -huh. and all this stuff, but... Yeah, on a, like that's not really that different. Like she was pretty well off. She had mm -hmm. a very supportive family, but also a very rebellious streak. And so I think, yeah, had they all come from the same place, they probably would have yeah. gotten along just fine. And in the book, they do make a, uh, um, a little bit, she makes a little bit more of a point about when all the other kids are going home for Christmas. Her major thing was not, I mean, yeah, she was gonna be lonely at school because she was gonna be the only one who wasn't going home, but her thing was that, damn, they're all going to Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas, and Iranian New Year's not until March. Oh. So it was like, it was more because her friends were all going home because they all celebrated the same holiday, and her holiday is not for four months. Oh, good point, yeah. So it's, it's interesting, because I think that we are kind of conditioned, you know, in being who we are and where we are from, I feel like we are kind of conditioned to view these types of stories in a particular way. But I feel like this one was kind of surprising in some of those ways because, like I said, it's not just meant to humanize one person or necessarily intended to humanize a culture for people who are not members of that culture. It's really a unique story because it's a person who is not from a quote-unquote Western country but grew up really obsessed with Western culture. Mm. And that is one of the things, like, if we backtrack just a little bit, you know, I, I've always been really fascinated with her uh, obsession... With uh, she was really into like Michael Jackson, Bee Gees, Iron Maiden, Jekyll Maxson. Jekyll Maxson, yeah. And in the book, they do talk a little bit more about how much she's into Michael Jackson for a long period of time mm -hmm. until she makes her shift over to being into like a little bit more hardcore type of mm -hmm. stuff. And I can only imagine she only had that one Iron Maiden tape. She must have burned that tape mm -hmm. out because I, I think about what I would do if I was. 14 and I had just discovered heavy metal and I couldn't get it anywhere and I had one yeah. tape I must have you'd have to listen to it on repeat over and over and over again yeah. Constantly. Yeah, it's so funny like how precious those things are when they're not mm -hmm. You know ubiquitous and that my uncle we have a family group text on one side of my family and my uncle just Texted kind of out of the blue like do you guys remember the first time you got a CD like how you treated it like it was like this precious egg that you could just 
break, like shatter into a million pieces. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, like, you know, let's not see these are, <laughs> I mean, not anywhere, but like, yeah. then we came to peak, you know, whatever. You scratched a CD, you got a new one, right, whatever, yeah, yeah, we throw yeah. them around. But it is true, like, when they're, they're so precious, mm -hmm. when they're rare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, it, I, I found it fascinating also that the, um, <laughs> not only were they up on Western culture, but they were so, even after the revolution when things were technically contraband, they were so, still so up to date, kind of up to date on Western culture that when they're talking about music, someone is like, ooh, how about ABBA? And they're like, ABBA's for dorks, loser. Get out of here. Well, I had to wonder, like, ABBA would have been, like, the 70s, It right? was. I mean, so yeah, but... They're probably, I mean, like, a little... But, yeah, the, like, tastes are the, yeah. still such a big thing, even though you can't get... You don't have the full variety. Your taste is yeah. just as important. Bee Gees are cool. Abba's for losers. That's that. And then she was like, I don't like the Bee Gees anymore. It's Iron Maiden now. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, that's definitely, I don't know, that's just a very relatable kid thing of, like, choosing your taste very specifically. Absolutely. Like, I don't like that thing anymore. I love this thing. Exactly. And that was actually one of the things I wanted to talk about was kind of, like, the way they portrayed, like, the Iran-specific experiences mm -hmm. alongside the more broadly relatable experiences because they kind of exist hand in hand yeah and a lot of them are they a lot of them do have to do with like the trauma of like warfare mm -hmm. and uh, the oppressive government but a lot of them don't I mean like it seems as though I, I feel like that is one of the strongest things about this story in film or book form is that it does a great job of giving you such a as you mentioned at the top of the episode such a straight telling mm -hmm. of the way things were that you can very clearly see there's not a disconnect with the things that are more broadly relatable and the things that are very specific to growing up in Tehran mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. Um, like the taste changing immediately. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't like Bee Gees anymore. I mom. like heavy metal mom. <laughs> um, getting yelled at by older people and things like that yeah. and kind of like having those uh, temper letting your temper get the better of you sometimes when it shouldn't. But sometimes mm -hmm. in in Satrapi's story, it is the consequences are dire if yeah. you do these things. Yeah. That's, I think the relatability is kind of our like Trojan horse into the story. Yes. Like it would be it would be a very different story, like maybe more of a kite runner or something mm -hmm. like that if we didn't totally see ourselves or our friends in um, Marjan. It's just like, yeah, of course, like there's just some universal, I guess, experiences of childhood that people in certain societies have. And that's, you know, it's just, you, you can't help but see, like, the time that you, mm -hmm. yeah, your whatever family disapproved of something or you kind of told your parents how things were and they were like, no, no, you don't right. understand anything, you're a child. And just little things like that, like loving it was so cute when she was a kid and she like loves Bruce Lee. Yeah. And she's like chasing her friend and then she's like, you, she kicked me in the head. <laughs> and she just kind of fades into the crowd like doing little karate swipes yeah. and stuff. And you're like, yeah. Remember being a kid and taking it just too far until your parents are like, all right, that's enough. Put yeah. it away. But, yeah. I, I, I will be honest. Marshawn Satrapi was too cool for me to hang out with if oh, we were the yeah, same age. Oh, yeah. No, we wouldn't have been friends. I would have been one of the kids that... I wouldn't have even been in this story. Like there's no like kid version of me in this. <laughs> I feel like I would have been the kid that they're chasing who's riding the bicycle. Oh, yeah, that was you. Is one of my favorite moments, by the way. Like, oh, yeah. when, when she says, when, when she's telling this story, like, yeah, his dad worked for the Shah's secret police and he tortured people. And they're like, let's get it. And, and, and like, their reaction is so, like, 
non-reactionary mm -hmm. until she says, she picks up just a bunch of nails and puts oh. them in her fingers, like Wolverine style, and says, let's go get them. And they all come up with those like very devilish, like Tim Burton-y yeah. smiles. Oh, I love so that. Cute. That was amazing. And then I love, too, like when she learns the lesson that this is not his fault. His, mm -hmm. like God tells her he is not responsible for his father's actions. So she sees him and she's like, I forgive you. Yeah. You're not responsible for your father's actions. And he's like, um, no, <laughs> screw you. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, yeah, you can't win as a kid. Like, you just, you're limited yeah. understanding. And that's a perfect example of the way this movie blends those two, like, experiences of, like, the more universal and the specifically Iranian is, like, I'm sure every neighborhood has, like, that one kid that, like, everybody else decided to pick on or, mm -hmm. like, everybody had their turn at mm -hmm. least. Um, but just the reasons behind it are very specific to this time and place. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and... You know, I, I'm sure that we have not all had uh, an uncle who was a political prisoner for nine years, yeah. but it is portrayed in that very, uh, I think that very relatable way of having that relative you don't really see very often. Mm -hmm. And so when you do get to see them, you're hanging on every word. You want to know everything, <laughs> you know. That's something that I definitely think that that's just universal for kids, I feel like. You know, if you've got yeah. a beloved family member who you just don't see very often, when you do see them, you're like, tell me about this, tell me about that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think it's just so easy. And I think the straightforward telling, going back to that. So one thing I wanted to talk about was just the animation. Like yes. why this is a cartoon, why, I mean, obviously it's based on the graphic novel mm -hmm. and she is an artist, so this is her medium, but like what, what would have been different if this had been a live action movie? Um, so I actually read about this a little bit that the, when the, rights to the book were sold, um, and it was obvious they were going to turn it into a film, the people who were developing the film begged her to do it live action because really? it would have been easier. Because I, as a person with no first-hand knowledge of how animation works, it looks fairly simplistic, but mm. apparently that is deceptive because so much of the physiology of the characters is flexible that mm. it, and not based in actual human structure and movement that it was gonna be extremely difficult to translate that style into motion anim in animation, but she stood her ground and she insisted on it, and so they relented, and so this became an animated fe feature. And I think that it's really important because it does portray it in a more expressionistic way, mm -hmm. and it makes it, in, in its moments of abstract uh, animation, I think that it makes it much more I don't know. I feel like it appeals more to your emotions. I feel like the the portrayal of Marjan as a child, like rather than trying to find a child who was close enough, mm -hmm. they're able. To, she's able to portray herself as a child and as a teenager and as a young woman the way that she uh, felt herself mm -hmm. acting, and in the animation process, apparently she physically acted out every single motion herself mm. for motion capture reference. Oh, interesting. Yeah, huh. so while they were developing and, and putting together the animation, apparently she actually did a physical act out of every single scene oh, herself. Oh, that's very cool. That's like old school Disney. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think the movement of the characters was exactly what I was gonna like grab onto, is the way different characters move communicates so much about them. Like the way she moves as a child is very, just specific, you get a lot about who she is because she's kind of like, you know, she struts a little yeah. bit. She's 
a little jerky in her movements, but still kind of smooth. Like you can tell she's got this kind of childish confidence. Mm -hmm. And then some of the times, like there's the one time where the um, women stop her because she's wearing a jacket and um, they kind of swoop around her yes. and they're this weird kind of shadowy movement, just f not even flitting around her, just almost like molding around like her, but in a very- stretching and bending. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that mm -hmm. scene in particular I wanted to talk about that was, I believe, the scene that they showed during the Oscar broadcast for the nomination, and that was the scene that hooked me. I was like, okay. I have got to see what the rest of this movie is. I feel like I had seen that somewhere before, too. Like, the, maybe that's, the, that maybe is, that's it. There's a still from that where mm -hmm. they're holding up the back of her Punk's Not Dead jacket, mm -hmm. and that, I think, is like one of like the publicity stills that they have mm -hmm. for this film that was kind of widely circulated. So you may have seen it around. It's a very distinctive and striking image, mm -hmm. and... One of the things that I, I really appreciated about it, that scene in particular, is that it's another great, it's one of many examples in, throughout the film where you kind of get tone whiplash from mm -hmm. being kind of uh, this amusing anecdote about going to buy her Iron Maiden tape from one of these black market guys mm -hmm. on the sidewalk to here come the moral guardians or the guardians of the revolution, whatever, and it's the consequences are extremely serious if she gets in trouble and it goes from that to her telling this fake sob story about mm -hmm. her mother and the music swelling and the guardians finally decide okay whatever and then leave and then the music just kind of dies yeah. out but it's 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 a perfect showcase for this movie this movie's sense of tone the animation style the sense of humor mm -hmm. um, the character it's a perfect snapshot of what this entire movie is i feel like and in addition to that, I never noticed until this viewing that those two guardians look exactly like the nuns that Marjan stays oh, with in yeah. once she gets to Vienna. And I don't think she's drawing a direct parallel there, but at the same time, they fill a very similar role in yeah. their in, in their respective societies. Right, you, it would be hard to go there and not see that as something semi-familiar, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. nuns. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I didn't notice that either, but that's a really good point. I think it does, the animation highlights kind of the just aesthetic difference between the world before the revolution where women were free to dress more or less how they wanted mm -hmm. and after where they were completely cloaked in black mm -hmm. and especially in a black and white, it's just like, you know, they're this black shape yes. versus before where people had difference in color. And the outfits really, she doesn't like make a lot of distinction in the clothing the mm -hmm. way she like drew everyone, but it is like a stark difference between, mm -hmm. you know, these kind of black shapes and the human form. And, right. And it's kind of a funny moment too. She's in art school and they're like doing a, they're drawing a model, which normally you would see that as like someone posed or nude or something and it's just a woman mm -hmm. in a full scarf and you're just like and, and they're like this is ridiculous you can't even see her body but so and a funny story about that uh, another thing from the book that I'd forgotten until right now in the book there that part is kind of expanded upon as well um, where she is discussing because I think at this point she is probably about 19 or 20 mm -hmm. and she discusses how um, she and all of her friends were, became able to, and I thought this was hilarious, they became able to assess other women's body types by the way that their 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 uh, robes hung on oh, them. Oh, that's funny. 
and it, it goes into pretty deep detail about it. And I was like, wow, that is definitely, like, apparently that is universal. Just like, I mean, and, and like her and her mind. friends literally just being bitchy about like, yeah. fr- about like, you know, so-and-so. Oh my God, can you believe that she, she's like, she's gained weight, blah, 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 this yeah. and that and the other thing. She's so skinny, this, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really funny. I was like, yeah, that's very much, very much a thing. People will find a way. Doesn't matter what you're wearing. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's just incredible to me. The things that it, that was definitely something that stood out to me is the things that people will choose to adapt. You know, mm-hmm. in in different circumstances, are kind of incredible to me. Yeah. Um, but yes, that that was so that part with the whole the um, uh, what do you call that uh, form human form study whatever oh, yeah. in art uh-huh. school. Uh, that was part of a much larger and hilarious oh, wow. anecdote in the in the book. That is funny. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that was in there originally because they did have that moment. One of the first things you hear in the movie is, um, at least dialogue wise, is I think her grandma or someone, some women talking at a party about how like oh the pencil thing yeah like <laughs> boob size basically. Yeah. So I wonder if that was in an early draft. Grandma had jokes, man. Yeah. She was like, t- she was. I bet when she gets undressed, you could drop a bunch of pencils or something <laughs> yeah. like that. That was great. Like, oh man, come on, grandma, be nice. She was a she was a pretty good grandma. She was a good movie grandma for sure. Yeah, and that moment where she like gives it to Marjan for being yeah. a hypocrite was, ooh, that was like I was like, oh, that's a that's a grown up moment when your family tells you like, no, I don't like who you are right now. That's like. Ooh, That's always a powerful really moment, too, when, like, someone who is always on your side turns yeah. again. Because getting yelled at by your parents is one thing. Getting yeah. get, as, as most of us know, getting yelled at by your parents is one thing. Getting yelled at by your grandparents, that's a right. totally different ballgame. Yeah. Um, but, yes, excellent. Uh, really, just a really great character all around, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so before we wrap up, I mean, any anything else, like, any, like, Favorite scenes, moments, characters. I mean, we talked about Grandma. We mm-hmm. didn't really talk about her parents that much. I feel like they didn't really have a whole lot of personality in yeah, the in the story. Really. Um, Uncle Anoush, the political prisoner. I thought mm-hmm. that you know he's only in the movie for a short period of time, but plays a pivotal role mm-hmm. in uh, Marjan's developing worldview. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Marjan just as a character was really fun to watch the whole movie, especially mm-hmm. as a kid. She was just. She's one of those kids that like appears in literature a lot, like the scout mm-hmm. or um, there's a book I read, The History of Love, and the little brother kind of reminds me more or less of him. He's like very, just that precocious, like wise beyond their years, but almost to the point of being just a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, so she was, she was cute and just really fun. Um, the grandma was great. I thought it was interesting, just a random thing that doesn't fit anywhere else. Um, Anyone who didn't have brown eyes had like white eyes because yes. it's all black and white. So right. that was, I was like, is that supposed to be blue? Is that supposed <laughs> to be like, are we supposed to read something about this character? Or So that was kind of funky. Speaking of the, the, uh, the portrayal of characters with white eyes, mm-hmm. um, so you, you, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, the, uh, the whole portrayal of the relationship with Marcus mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. And I, I feel like this is definitely not the first time I've seen this in a movie, but I, I really enjoyed the way that when she talks about being in the relationship, everything is just perfect, flawless. Mm-hmm. And then after the breakup, it's everything sucked. And the way they, they she portrays him, mm-hmm. he goes from being just this gorgeous, I mean, in the very simplistic style of the yes. film, like this super gorgeous, gorgeous blue-eyed cartoon mm-hmm. character, to being just like buck-toothed, zit-faced, eating his own boogers, yeah. and like everything was bad. Everything about, And I, I thought, okay, yeah, that's... 
I, I appreciate the way that that was portrayed, and that was yeah. done in a way that, um, to your earlier point, if you didn't do this movie in animation, that would have been very hard to do without True. some very cartoonish makeup, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was funny, because it's like, you kind of have to wonder, like, did she... So is that... Which one was the way it really was? And honestly, it's probably a little bit in the of middle, both. Yeah. yeah. But it you probably was, had like yeah. one jacked up tooth or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, that's another thing that you're like, yep, as soon as you break up, you're just like, oh, I don't know what I saw in them. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's spell, a very teenage breakup. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, Eye of the Tiger scene oh, as well. Yeah. Like when she's going, like the whole, like the whole deal with her going through depression was mm-hmm. so fast, but also very it was kind of harrowing, like almost as mm-hmm. much as the, the scenes of warfare and yeah. uh, political prisons and things like that. It was um, it was rough to watch. And then the you know Eye of the Tiger montage to take her out of it. Was, I loved I loved that great. too. It was yeah because I think it was a good juxtaposition that she does so well, like you said in this movie of like just very harrowing and harrowing and dark. Even if you know this might have been a more relatable. Thing than a lot of the war stuff she went through, but to come out of a deep depression with Eye of the Tiger. Yes. Like, that's just, that's performed, an amazing sensibility. Performed, of course, in very. Oh, yeah, when she's like actually singing. English. Yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, not, that was cute. I'm, I, I'm not sure who whose voice that is in that rendition, but it is delightful. And it's like pretty flat. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's one of those moments of like, you know, you hear the song. And then you turn off the song and you're like, oh, wait, is that my boy? Like, oh, <laughs> I thought I sounded just like them. Uh-huh, mm. uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, anything else that stands out to you before we wrap things up here? Um, I mean, we touched on a lot of the big moments. I just really enjoyed it Good, overall. Glad. It was really beautiful. So Kari recommends. That's, a, that's good. Recommend. And um, do you have a review? I do. <clears throat> Uh, beautifully animated and poignant, Persepolis follows a young girl as she comes of age during the Iranian Revolution. The story is at once un- universally relatable to anyone who's gone through the struggles of outgrowing your childhood and incredibly specific to a time and place in the midst of a cataclysmic change. We're lucky to have storytellers as patient as Marjan to paint so beautifully for us the realities that we could easily ignore. Excellent. All right. And so without further ado, what do we have to look forward to next week? Next week, we're going to watch a travel movie. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And you get to choose. All right. Do you want to go on a road trip? Do you want to go around the world? Or do you want to travel through time? Okay. Um, well, in that case, let's do around the world. Okay. Um, I love this movie. I'm very excited to be watching this on a plane next week. <laughs> this is... Oh, this is a movie came out not too long ago featuring Ben Stiller in a very subtle and, I mean, it's it's, it's not really a comedy or a drama. It's hmm. just kind of, we'll see how you feel about it. But it, it's a very kind of subtle movie that features two of the biggest comedians of our time. Hmm. Um, ben Stiller, as I said, mm-hmm. and um, Kristen Wiig. Hmm. Okay. Kay, have you seen... The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. No, I have not. I have not, actually. And I know that this is one that you've brought up in some of our earliest K-Have-You-Seen pre-production meetings. And so I'm very excited to finally see what the hype's all about. Yes, yes. We'll see how you feel about it, but I won't say anymore. Okay, great. 
Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to watching it and uh, looking forward to discussing it with you as always. But for now, I'm Kyle. I'm Kari. And this is KAVC, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Rising up back on the street Did my time, took my chances Went to distance, now I'm back on my feet Just a man and his will to survive So many times it happens too fast You change your passion for glory Don't lose your grip on the dreams of the past You must fight just to keep them alive It's the eye of the tiger It's the thrill of the fight Rising up to the challenge of a rival And the last known survivor stalks his prey in the night and